0: Thank you, Elder Doug, for sharing Jesus' heart with us. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning to uh, worship our God together. And again, um, three weeks ago or two, three weeks ago, we started a brand new series called New Beginnings. First week, we talked about moving forward. In order to start a new beginning, we need to forget about the past and focus what Christ has set before us. And last week we talked about um, biblical principles of pruning. You know, God wants to prune us because he wants to produce more fruit. In other words, he does not just want to be complacent where we're at. You've been fruitful last year. Now this year you could take a vacation. And I would often remind the leaders that I don't believe in vacation because there's, in the Bible it doesn't really talk about vacation or specifically retirement. Now, vacation, what I mean by vacation is that, yeah, you can go on vacation, but what I mean by vacation from God, amen? And sometimes we get that mixed up. Sometimes we need a little break, and then we say, well, I need a little vacation, and we take a vacation from God as well, but God did not want that for us. So that he continues to say, okay, you are fruitful, I want you to be more fruitful, because I want you to bless my people. And as you are blessing others, that you yourself will be blessed as you are part of UBC. Well, today we're going to talk about the wise and the foolish builders. And I'm sure all of you who are Bible readers and you love Scripture know this uh, story very well. It's a very popular story. And many believers, if not all, know this story very well. It is in Matthew chapter, excuse me, it's in Luke chapter 6, and that we will talk about that. So let's pray and ask for the anointing for God this morning, for him to bless us and teach us his ways. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together and to join together as one voice as we sang earlier about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege and honor that we were able to partake in communion, that we were able to commune with you. Taking the bread that represents the bread of life, the body of Christ. And also taking the drink that represents the blood of Christ. That is a sign of a a new covenant. We thank you for the new covenant that you have given unto us. A covenant that we have a deep relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we thank you for uh, allowing us to partake in it. And we ask now that you'll continue to bless us by your word. And I pray, Lord God, that this servant does not speak man's word or a man's opinion or, uh, or worldly thoughts or worldly words, but words that are coming from down from heaven. And I pray, Lord God, that he who have listening ears, we will hear your words. Father, I pray for the the men and women that may perhaps maybe be exhausted or tired this morning, but I pray that you will wake us up to hear your word and to receive it. And as we receive it, apply it. That's what you're going to teach us this morning. Now, may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to your sight. In the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. If you could turn to the next slide. And I want you to draw your attention to the next slide. The research shows that 79% of Americans today profess they are Christians. Did you know that? 79% of Americans today profess that they are Christians. But if you look at the uh, chart that was done by Lifeway Christian Resources... If you look at behind me, you notice that only 11% said they have read the whole Bible once. Now, that's disturbing, isn't it? 79% Americans profess that they're Christians, but only 11% read the whole Bible. What I mean by the whole Bible means from Genesis... To the New Testament, uh, to the New Testament revelation. Now, this is a rhetorical question, and I don't want to put you on uh, an uncomfortable spot, but if I ask any of all the people in this room, how many of you have read the whole Bible at least once? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? It's a rhetorical question. At least once. It's startling, isn't it, that only 11%. And I hope and pray for UBC that is much higher percent. And I hope and pray that the, uh, the members of UBC, that we're not 50%, we're not 60%, but we're 100% that at least all of us here in this church read the Bible at least once. Amen? Oh, you, you, What was that response? <laughs> Pastor Mark, we need some help here, brother. Amen? Come on, church, you could do better than that. Amen, amen. amen. Now, 2,000 years ago, the disciples and the crowd had Jesus teaching them directly. Since then, God gave us the Bible as his way of teaching us for us to read, listen, and apply biblical principles in our lives. But as you can see, only 11% have read the whole Bible once. When I was a a young pastor beginning a, a ministry, the older pastor, who's seasoned pastor, who's about to retire, came up to me and said, Pastor Nick, you're just beginning your ministry. And he gave me this challenge and he said this, Above everything else, I know you're going to be busy with ministry. I know you're full of passion. I know you're full of fire and you want to change the world. I know you want to do all that. But one challenge I want to give you, he said, take time to read the Bible. And I want to challenge you to read the Bible 100 times. And when you read the Bible 100 times, it's going to make a difference in your own life. It's gonna make a difference, and I took that challenge. And I and every day I strive to take the, strive to read His Word, read His Word over and over and over again. Sometimes I will read a different translation, but sometimes. But, uh, but the point is, is that I read the Word daily. I have a routine of reading. I I, I read New American Standard Version for my daily devotion, quiet time. When I prepare for the message, I read the original text, Greek or Hebrew. But when I preach, I preach from the NIV text. See the diversity there? Billy Graham, he, he wasn't at a, a seminary grad. He never took Hebrew or Greek. But what I've discovered when he prepares for his message, his message is very clear. And you and I know that God used Billy Graham in a powerful way. But he didn't go to seminary. He didn't get a master's or he didn't get a PhD. All he read was the Bible when he prepared the message. And he read five or six different versions. He read the NIV. He read the Good News. He read the Living Translation. He read the King James. He read the uh, New American Standard. And there's different types of translation because he wanted to get a different perspective from different authors. But even though their interpretation is different, but what? The foundation, the gospel stays the same. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If you have not read your Bible at least once, I challenge you to read it from Revelation to, excuse me, Genesis to Revelation. If you need help, there are resources that will help you and guide you to read the whole Bible in one year. Going through different passages. If you need help, we can provide that resource for you. If you already read it once, I want to challenge you to read it again. If you write it a third time, I want to challenge you to read it again. If you write it ten times, and I believe there are saints here that read it at least ten times, I want to challenge you to read it again. Do not stop. Because the Word of God is meant to read over and over and over again. You would be amazed that there are passages that I preached on ten times, and then and, and, and every time I uh, preach on the text, God gives me a new revelation because it meant to read it over and over again and give us new revelation and insights. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is not boring. Amen? Amen. You may be boring. I may be boring. But the Word of God is not boring. Amen. Amen? So this morning, as we continue our series, New Beginnings, we will study the Gospel of Luke. Luke is what? Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third Gospel, and then John. Right, So this morning we will study the Luke, and in Luke we will discover what type of disciples that Jesus Christ is looking for. Now, as we study this text, I'm going to make a distinction. There is a difference between a follower or a disciple. And the question that I'm going to raise, including myself, and the question that Jesus is going to raise is, are you just a follower or are you a disciple? Remember when Jesus gave that great commission, he said, go make what? He didn't say go and make followers, but he said what? Go and make disciples. That's what he said. To know Christ. And I'm going to borrow this vision from navigators because I, I like it. And I'm going to steal it. Forgive me, Pastor, uh, Elder Bob. To know Christ and to make Him known. Amen. Now you know why I like that free vision. Or mission. But again, as Jesus is going to make disciples, there is a difference between a disciple and a follower. And Jesus Christ is not looking for followers. He's looking for disciples. Amen? And one of our pillars is what? The four things that we focus on, and one of the things that we focus on is discipleship. And that's what we're going to be talking about. What type of disciples that Jesus Christ is looking for? And as I said, there's a difference between followers versus disciples. It is. What is the difference? It is lifestyle. Disciples' lifestyle was, is defined by their obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. I noticed the book that Elder Doug was reading uh, next to his. Uh, he always carries a book. I know that, you know, he re- likes to read book. I couldn't help but to notice, but the title says obedience. Forgive me, Elder Doug. I just noticed these little things. (laughs) And I said, that's right on. That's right on. What Jesus Christ is looking for is obedience. Not just followers. So new beginnings require deep devotion to Christ that will result in obedience in his word. So turn with me to our Morning's text, Luke chapter six, verse forty-six. Luke chapter six, verse forty-six. And I want you to have, if you have your Bibles, have your Bibles open. Have your Bibles open. If not, you could look for, from behind me, or you could have your electronic device. But I want you to put your paws, Well, I want you to put your finger on verse forty-six. But in order to understand the whole context of this chapter, I want to give you a little detail about it. So the detail is this. Luke tells us that people from all over came. Why? To hear Jesus, to see Jesus, and to experience Jesus, or they wanted something from Jesus. So Luke tells us people came from all different parts of the country or villages. And as a result, it was a large crowd. A great number of people came to hear Jesus. And to be healed. Now, if you look at the gospel, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that wherever Jesus went, there were people crying out, God, heal me. Right? The leopards were crying out, heal us. The blind was crying out, Hear my blind, uh, hear my sight. The people that were not able to walk, they were able, they were saying, Heal us. But if you notice the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, He rarely approached people. And said, "Do you want to be healed?" And if he said, "You want to be healed?" He was not talking about physical healing, but he was talking about what? Your spiritual healing, your soul. And so Jesus, his main purpose, or his mission would not yes, yeah, as greatest as healing, but his greatest mission, or the mission that he came, was to teach and to share the gospel. And meanwhile, he used the healing process for deeper teaching. So again, these people came to be healed by Jesus. But Jesus, noticing this large crowd, were following him without a commitment. Did you catch that? Yeah, it was a large crowd. Any mega church pastor or many, any mega church uh, staff would say, we have a large crowd here. And they would love that. But Jesus was not looking for a large crowd, but he was looking for what? Commitment to him. Remember, he was not looking for followers. He was looking for disciples. So he noticed this large crowd without a a commitment. So he looks at the crowd. He looks at them and he says, why are you following me? when you have no desire to commit to what i'm i am teaching you why and sometimes i raise the question to uh people who are dating why are you dating the other person when you have absolutely no commitment to that other person as you would often hear me say i don't believe in casual dating The purpose of dating is that you make a deep commitment that this is a potential husband or wife. And I believe love is a commitment, not an emotional feeling. But too many people are so emotional. Oh, I love him because I got butterflies in my stomach. Oh, I love him because I perspire when I think about him. Oh, I love it because when I kiss him, my knees are about to buckle. You hear all that. It's all based on emotion, sometimes infatuation or obsession, right? And God, now, that's, a, that's another sermon, all right? But you're not talking about Jesus Christ says, Why are you follow me when you have absolutely no commitment to following my words? And this is what, where we pick up in verse 46. So put your, again, look at verse 46. He says this to us. He says, why do you call me? And picture this now. He's looking at the crowd, and he's looking at the crowd and says, why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If you have a highlighter, then highlight that word. Do not. Or if you have an electronic Bible, just highlight that word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, Jesus wanted to correct their misconception about what it means to be a true follower of Christ. Jesus is saying, if you really believe that I am the Lord, then you should listen and do what I say. And this is what God is saying to you and to me this morning. If you really believe that I'm the Lord, and if you believe that I am the King of kings and the, and the Lord of lords, and that if you really believe that I'm the Prince of Peace, and if you believe that I am the Savior, then do what I say. And don't just give me lift service. Because I don't care for that. A lot of Christians today, professing Christians, are you with me? They come to church and they do a lot of lift service. They raise up their hands and they're jumping up and down and say, let's praise the Lord. But, this, but, but their heart, when they go back outside, they're not loving their enemy. They're not forgiving. They're not apologetic. But they're what? Living their old flesh. And Jesus Christ is saying to, to, to those people, says, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Give me lift service on Sunday worship and yet do not do what I say. Are you with me? UBC will not like that, amen? Amen. We don't give Lord the lip service. So Jesus gives them a strong warning by bringing up an example of two houses. Two houses. One stands through the storms, but the other totally collapses. One stands firm, and the other one just totally collapses. In Jesus' eyes, there's no middle ground. One or the other. Either you're going to stand strong in Jesus or if you don't then you're going to collapse. And I'm sure many of you can testify you saw people's lives collapse because they they were not built on the word of God. The point that Jesus is making is this that the structure how we build our lives will stand strong or collapse depending on our obedience. To the word of God. So Jesus teaches the crowd. He looks at the crowd and he teaches us. This is how it looks like. And let me explain to you how it looks like and how it works. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 47. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. You see, disciples are who comes, number one, comes, number two, hears, and number three, doers of God's word. That's the process of discipleship. Come, hear, and do. These three words are, which identifies if we are true follower of Christ or if we are disciple of Christ. So I want to break this down. First is come. Jesus invites us. Discipleship begins by coming to Christ. Jesus says, who comes to me? Now when Jesus was giving his sermon, we need to remember that he would, this crowd again was a very large crowd. It was not small. And they were coming from everywhere. That's what Luke tells us. And they were coming and trying to get close, not to hear the word of God, but they came close what? Because they wanted something from Christ. They wanted to be, the Matthew uh, Luke tells us, they wanted to be healed from the disease. And that's why they are coming to Christ. That's why they were coming closer to him. Not to hear his words. Not to be in his presence, not to experience him in a personal way, but because they want something from him. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that as well. There are some people that just come to you because they want something from you. Amen? And Jesus knew that as he knew the heart of man. They were coming to him not because uh, what Jesus Could do for them in through spiritually, but they were coming to him because of they want something physically. It is the same way today. I would like to suggest that when we go to Jesus because of what we, what he can do for us. Why do we go to Jesus in prayer? Do we go to Jesus in prayer and humble ourselves in our knees and, and praise God and say, I am here because I want to experience you. I want to give you praise. I want to give you worship. I want to start this day by honoring you and asking you to guide me me so that I can live a godly life. But oftentimes when we go to prayer, what do we do? We have a grocery list. Amen? I need help with this. I need this. Can you bless me with this? And this and this. You all know what I'm talking about. That's what we find most professing Christians. We go to God in prayer. We come to Jesus. We come to him with the grocery list. And after we give him the grocery list, in Jesus' name, amen. And we think that we did our prayer and then we go on living. And have you wondered why? That the grocery list has never been taken care of? That your prayers have never been answered? Because of our attitude. And this is exactly what Jesus was pointing out to this crowd. This crowd was coming together. They were, they were pushing each other. They were trying to get closer to Jesus. Because they were saying, if I just touch him, I will be healed. Instead of... What is he trying to say? What is he trying to teach me? And that's exactly what Jesus was addressing. He says, why do you call me Lord? So as we come to him, the next step is Jesus says, what? Here. If you look at your word, underline that here. Here. And here's my words. Listening takes discipline. And it is so important to our spiritual lives. Listening is so important. Remember what James says. He said, be slow to speak. But what does he say? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And, Jesus, and James was referring to uh, that to God in prayer. Because, well, again, we go to God in prayer. We just speak a lot. We got a lot of things to say. And, Je- and we say, Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. And Jesus is like, but, 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 but let me, th- I need to say something to you now. And that's why at the end of the prayer, we're not blessed. Because we miss the blessings of what Christ's words can comfort us, give us Peace. So listening is a very important part of our spiritual growth. Billions of words are spoken every second through media and multiple conversations around us. Did you know that? Today we are living in a very fast-paced life. We are super busy. Therefore, this world is providing shortcuts. A lot of dummies virgins, right? Over 200 of them. Have you seen those dummy versions? Dummies for PC, dummies for fixing a pipe, dummy version of this and this. Short versions because we, we don't have time for the full version. And sometimes we just have a short version of Bible too. Like this Bible apps, they have the Bible verse of the day. Just a verse of the day, because you're too busy. You can't read the whole chapter, so you just read the one verse a day. But the problem is that if you just read that one verse, you're reading out of context, and you don't know what the whole context means. Oftentimes, when I had to minister to parents, they would say, you know, I tell my children to honor the parents. And the parents get frustrated because, again, you know, I tell my children, it's in the Bible. The Bible says, honor your parents. They're not listening to us, and they get frustrated. And I look at the parents' eyes and I said, can you read the whole Bible, the whole context? Yes, children obey their parents, right? Children obey their parents, honor their parents. But the following, it says, parents do not exasperate your children. In other words, do not anger their children or frustrate them. Do you see where I'm getting at? If you want to quote a verse, you got to quote the whole chapter to understand the full context. We cannot just eisegete the text. That's a Greek, you know, that's a seminary. You just can't pick and choose the verses that you like. And sometimes we're very good at that. You got to understand the whole thing. So again, Jesus is saying, listen. It's not shortcuts. There's no dummies for, dummy version for Bible. There's no dummy version for G, listening to Jesus, all right? I know we're so uh, into video and sign bites, quick scene and topic change, uh, chances. Again, what the young people are doing is this. They're not having a phone conversation. They're not having a face-to-face one-on-one conversation. They just want to text, right? They just want to text. Because they just want to get to the point. They don't want to have a long conversation of, how are you really doing? They don't want to get to that. Some of them, they just don't want say, they, they say, they to say, dear Pastor Nick. Some of them just say, oh, can you give me this? <laughs> can you find this out? You know, at least I could say, hey, at least you could say, hey, Pastor Nick, or something. In my old church, I, I had a very a young congregation. They were in 20s and 30s. And so, but when I call these college students and young adults, they don't pick up the phone. But when I text them, are you with me? They reply like that. And that's the young folks. They don't get, and that's what Jesus Christ is saying here. You need to come and you need to hear. You need to hear. See, the problem is this, is that, yes, we want quick answers and quick responses. We don't want a long conversation. We just say, get to the point. Just what's your point? Get to it. But the thing is, the problem is that we bring that mindset into the church. When the pastor is preaching too long, it's like, pastor, just get to the point. Right? Right? When the, worship, when the worship team, the song is too long, it's like, hey, Mike, you're just singing too long, man. Just get to the point. Let's sing the stanza and done. We're done. That's the problem that we bring into, that's the problem when we bring into the church. But again, Jesus Christ is reminding us, isn't, listen, listen, listen. And, but the question is this, then how can we as a church to become better Listeners. We're better hearers of God's word. There are two things as you see, the subpoints of number two. First is that we must pray. We must pray, but we must pray in, the, in terms of not asking God, saying doing this and that giving a grocery list, but we must sit and discipline ourselves that we listen to what God has to say to us. You you see? But we're too busy. We're too busy. But that's what we must do. If you're busy and you have to go to work by 8 o'clock, then get up at 6 o'clock and take a shower and drink your coffee and take time to listen to God. Amen? And don't tell me that I don't have time, okay? If, if, If you discipline your time, and if you prioritize your time, then you can make time. Amen? You can make time to, to pray. You can make time to read the word of God. And you could take time to work out, to be a good steward, and to take care of God's temple. Amen? You see, people are saying, oh, I'm tired. I don't have the energy to go to church this morning. I don't have the energy to go to <clears throat> men's group. All right, you hear me? I don't have the energy to go to Mendy's class. It's too early in the morning, 9 o'clock. But if you want to go watch a TV show, you wake up at 9 o'clock and watch it. Are you with me? You see? It's not a, we're all busy. Amen? We're all busy. It's just prioritizing your time. Henry Blackaby, I love the, I love the man, and, and some of you are taking the uh, Experiencing God Study with uh, Pastor Dale, and he's, a, he's an awesome teacher, amen? I just got to say, I love you, brother. He's my man. He's my man. I love him to death. We go back over 20 years. But praise God, anyway, it's not about him, it's about him, okay? But he knows that. But Henry Blackaby, he's a man of prayer. And I read one of his books, and, 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 and he said this, and he shared this. And I'm not sure if it's from Experiencing God or in uh, some other books, because he's got a lot of books that I read from. Experiencing God Together, uh, ex- uh, Leadership, Christian Leadership, and so forth. But he said this. He said he used to wake up at 6 in the morning to spend time in prayer. And God spoke to him and said, still 6 in the morning is not early enough. Because I need to speak more to you. So he said, okay, Lord, I'll get up at 5.30 then. So he got up at 5.30 and he spent time with the Lord, spending time in prayer. But again, the Lord convicted him and said, 5.30, it's still not enough time. He said, okay, Lord, I'll wake up at 5, uh, five o'clock then. So he, got, he's, he's, so he got up at 5 o'clock, and, and 5 o'clock, and he's, he's spending time with the Lord, and, and, the, and he, he just felt convicted. He said, five o'clock is still not, early, it's still not enough time. He okay, Lord, all right, I'll wake up at 4.30, and even I have limits. And he woke up at 4.30, and he spent time with the Lord. And that's why all of us who know about Henry Blackaby, we know that he's a godly man. And he could write books like Experiencing God because he experienced God in a personal, intimate way. And he's known as a man of prayer. You see, we're all busy, but we got 24 hours. It's how we schedule it and how we prioritize and we can make time, especially prayer. So that's what we need to do. First thing we must do is we must pray. Second is that we must reflect and apply what we read. When we read the Word of God, we must reflect upon it. We must meditate upon it. And then and, and we must apply what the Lord has, ta- has taught us. And third is doing. Doing. Notice in verse 47, Jesus says this, puts them into practice. You see, every time we hear God's word and we, he, he moves our hearts and he convicts us, then we must act, Is he? I don't hear an amen. amen. Praise you, brothers. Thank you, brother. Most of the time it is not something big. When Jesus Christ asks you to do something, it is, most of the time it is not something big. For example, it could be loving someone or forgiving someone. How many of you here in this room, this place right now in God's church need to forgive someone today? How many of you or us, how many of us need to be more patient? Or we need to apologize to someone that we did wrong? Or what about our commitment level? Are we deeply committed to our families? Are we deeply committed to the church? First, but are we really committed to Christ? Or change of attitude. See, this is what God is talking about here in this text. The point is, do what God's word says. And when we do it, we are entering into true discipleship. You see. Each step will become closer to him, and each step is a new beginning. When Jesus questioned the large crowd about their commitment of following him, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He's challenging them about their commitment level. Jesus is saying, I just taught you. You're here. I just gave a a sermon about some things. And why aren't you not doing it? Disciples of Christ means obeying him. So the question is, what did Jesus teach? So again, I want you to put your finger on verse 46 and look at the previous verses. Again, we're talking about context here. What he says in the previous churches, uh, verses, he's referring to the previous verses that he was talking about. We're, 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 we're on 46 and 47, but he's talking about verses 27 to 45. If you could turn back or you could follow what I uh, follow behind my, uh, the screen. So as we look at it, what is he specifically teaching here? He's teaching us listen, reflect, and put into practice. Those are the three things. Listen, reflect, practice. So notice in verse 27 and verse 28, if you look back above the verse 46, what he talked about previously, he says, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. He said, to you who are listening, I want you to do this. I want you to love your enemies. And when I first read this many years back, I'm saying, Lord, are you kidding me? Are you saying that to love my enemies? This is not normal. This is not what the world teaches. This is not what the psychologist teaches. This is not what the sociologist teaches. Hate your enemy. Stay away from the enemy. I said, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not normal for normal. It's not normal for it's not normal for followers of Christ. It's not normal for professing Christians. It's not normal for worthy people, but it is normal for my disciples. And Jesus says this to you and to me. Please listen carefully, Nick. You were my enemy at first. Amen? And I have loved you and I love you even though you were my enemy. Now you have reconciled to me and you become my disciple. And you've been reconciled and you become my disciple. And if you are my disciple, then you need to do what I do to love your enemies. Are you with me? that's what jesus christ is saying when you call me lord and i am lord of your life and that i am your savior and i am your god and i am your king then do what i have done and that is to love your enemy amen so ubc be ready to love your enemies And he says, I don't want you to stop there. I don't want you to stop just loving your enemy. I want you to act upon it. And I want you to show how much you love your enemy by doing what? Good to those who hate you. Again, I'm like, (laughs) Jesus, you know. You want me, not only you want me to love my enemies, but you want me to take a step further. And now you're telling me to to do good? Good. I mean, it's it's even difficult for me to do good to the people that I like. Right? And you tell me to do good, go to that extra mile, to the people that are considered my enemies and the people that hate me? Uh, Are you you really? I I just don't understand. And Jesus said, yep, that's what I want you to do. If he was here, he would have said, Word. Yeah, I want you to do that. Do good to those who hate you. And Jesus continues, not only good, bless. Bless those who curse you. And check this out. Pray for those who mistreat you. Wow. Jesus is saying, if you call me Lord, this is what you need to do. This is what it means to be my disciple. This is the kind of disciples that I'm looking for. I'm not looking for no commitment. I'm not looking for just followers. I'm not looking for just Sunday Christians. Loved ones. This is what we are called to do. And Jesus also gives us a practical reason why we should do this. Check this out in verse 31. As you look at it behind me, he says what? Do to others as you would have them what? Do, you. do to you. Therefore, if I want my enemies to love me, then I have to love my enemies. Amen? Amen? If I want my enemies to do good to me then i have to do the good to those who to hate me if i want people to bless me i need to bless them who curse me and if i want my enemies to pray for me then i need to pray for my enemies jesus is he's not playing games here he means business he said if you want if you calling me lord this is what you need to do. You need to step up. You need to stop acting like a child and act like a man and a woman. Remember Paul once says this, I can't help but to quote Paul because he's my man. He says, "What, When I was a child, I thought like a child. Are you with me?" But now that I, that I am fully grown, I leave my foolish things of a child back. I leave it behind because I'm no longer a child, but I am a man and a man of God. And therefore, I will act like a man of God. So men and women, we need to act like a man and woman of God. Amen? Amen? We leave our childish things behind us because we have a new beginning in Christ. Get rid of all that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Brothers and sisters when we are loving doing good blessing and praying for someone who judge who does not deserve it we are showing mercy and we are not judging anyone but accepting that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that's what it means to be the bride of Christ that's what it means that we are the body of Christ. That's what it means to be the Uptown Baptist Church. We are not judges, we are we show mercy. Amen? We are not judges, we accept. Notice in verse 37, he says, "Do not judge, you will be you will not be judged. Forgive and you will be forgiven." Jesus is not saying we should not make any moral judgment, but what he is saying is that when we do make judgments, that we judge Accordingly with the mind of Christ because if we spend time in reading his word and if we reflect and meditate And if we spend time in prayer that we have the mind of Christ and that we will make moral good judgments And this will lead us to forgiveness That if we reflect and put into practice and pray as a result of prayer then we will forgive If Jesus Christ has forgiven a sinner like me, then how dare am I not to forgive others who have wronged against me? Amen? And to me, Nick, you are being arrogant and selfish. That you being forgiven and yet you don't forgive. There is a parable about that, right? That master, that he owned, how many? And the master forgave him for a certain amount. I can't think of the idea right now. The amount, but you all know what I'm talking about. And that he went to his servant, and that he did not forgive that servant. And so the master found out, and he says, how dare you? And he put him into jail. He said, I forgave you your debts. And you don't want to return that grace to another person. So Jesus, again, he's, he's, he's serious. So in verse 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. Give what? Give mercy and you will receive mercy. Give a forgiving heart, then, give, uh, then you will receive forgiving heart. You see, we are to align with Jesus' heart. And the only way that we can be aligned to Jesus' heart is that when we go to Jesus and we hear his word and when we do his word, Notice in verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good store in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil store up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, what Jesus, is. notice he used the word heart three times. Your heart will determin- determine if you are clean or unclean. Your heart will determine if you are unrighteous or Righteous. Your heart will determine if you are holy or unholy. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. You see, therefore, Jesus said, having the word of God in our hearts helps us to make biblical moral judgments. And if we need to make judgments, then the first question that we have to ask is, what does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? Jesus says, when you listen and do what I say, the result will be this. And he explains in verse 48. Now we're on 48. They are like a man building a house who dug deep, excuse me, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck, that house but could not shake it. It was unshakable. Why? Because of the foundation. Because it was what? Well built. You see, we're going to face storms of life. And Jesus knows that we're going to face storms of life. And Jesus knows there's going to be a lot of temptations, a lot of enticements, and a lot of things that are just going to come on our way. And Jesus said, you need to prepare yourself for the, fl- for the flood. You need to prepare yourself for the storms of life. You need to prepare for, for the enemy is going to entice you and tempt you in many ways. And the only way that you can prepare is that you, your foundation has to be built well so that you will be unshakable when things come your way. Amen? We all will face it, but how we stand strong, Jesus teaches us. Many years ago, someone wronged our family big time. And in a worldly way, then that person will be considered as my enemy because that person wronged my family big time. But over the years, God said, Nick, You need to love your enemy. Not only you need to love your enemy, you need to do good to your enemy. And he says, let me take a step further. You need to bless and pray for your enemy. After the Lord challenged me that, that I started to go on my knees and pray for my enemy. And as I was praying for my enemy, God changed my heart. That I no longer consider that person my enemy. But I could pray for that person for his soul or her soul. And that God will bless that person. And that person will come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But more than praying for that... What God did in my heart is that he did a surgery. He did a surgery in my heart and he changed me. And how he changed me was through the process of prayer. You see, my house, my house right here, this body is strong. And it is unshakable. Because why? Because I, I read his word and I reflect upon his word and I meditate on his word and I act upon it. And I'm not saying this out of arrogance, but I'm saying is that I did my part because he commanded me and I was obedient to his command. And therefore, that as he said, love your enemies. So I said, okay, I will love my enemy. And no longer do I consider him my enemy. To this day, I pray for this person almost every night. You see? And it's been years. And as a result, I love this person. You see what prayer does? You see what the Word of God does? You see? And this is what Jesus Christ is telling us. The the way that you have a deep foundation in your life, and when the storms come in your way, and that you you will be unshakable because you put into practice what I command you to do. So what is Jesus this morning? Or what has he been teaching you lately that Jesus is saying, this is what you need to do, my son. This is what you need to do, my daughter. And you have not done it yet. What is he telling you? What is he teaching you? And you have not obeyed yet. You have not followed And that is why I believe Jesus is reminding me, Jesus is reminding you, Jesus is reminding this beautiful Uptown Baptist Church, do what I say. And as you do what I say, you will build a strong foundation in your life, your structure, and your foundation will be unshakable. I love that word, amen? Come on, church, you could do better than that. But he says this, the person that is opposite of obedience, the person who does not do what I tell them to do, the person that is not committed, the person who is just a Sunday follower. He says this in verse 49. Notice what he says. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on a ground without what? foundation. And naturally, the moment the torrent struck, when the life storms come their way, that house, what happens? It collapsed and its destruction was complete. Wow. You can't get any more clear than that, right? Last month on July, uh, excuse me, last month on June 23rd, most of you, if not all of you, had heard the news that a condo from Miami collapsed. To this day, 97 lives were taken. The experts say there was a structural and foundational damage. And as a result, it just sank. Similar to what Jesus is saying here. Built on a house on the ground without a foundation. Without a true foundation, if there's damage, then it collapses. But the problem is this. If we don't have a strong foundation, and if our own lives collapse, then the people around us is affected as well. Amen? Amen? Our family is affected by the collapse of your foundation. Your your co-workers, your neighbor, and let me say this, your church, it affects your church. You see, it's bigger than you. Because of the foundation, 97 people's lives were taken. Those lives could have been saved if they repaired the structural damage. But nothing was done. It was ignored. Brothers and sisters, how is your foundation today? Is it built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? Or is it built on something else? If your foundation is weak and it collapses, it not only affects your life but the people that are around you as well. So please note that. In closing, Jesus is very clear on this. There is only two houses being built. One with a strong foundation and one without. The question is, what type of house are you building? Where must we begin? We must begin by coming to Jesus. Second, to hear His teaching. And third, putting into practice what we learn from Him, from Him today. New beginnings require checking on our foundations daily because we need to repair it daily. And how do we repair our foundation daily? It is through the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you for reminding us that you are not looking for followers. You're not looking for Sunday Christians, but you're looking for true disciples of Christ that is deeply devoted to your word, deeply committed to your word, and would obey your word. So thank you for that reminding us, Lord. Lord. And Father, I pray as you will see that we are building a strong foundation built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, remind us what we need to do, what we must do. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, 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 amen.